This presentation is from UX Australia 2019, Sydney. I'm really excited about this, this, next, um, this next talk and our next speaker, just as you're shifting rooms. Uh, so, Bridget is going to be talking to us about designing for tomorrows, which I think is uh, an excellent topic if we consider the things that we've been hearing about um, around where are we going, what role do we play, and I think we all need to get a, a good grasp on how to do this, so please. So, that's actually working, that's good. I wasn't sure, I never trust technology, and I think this is going to work. I don't, I don't trust a lot of things. Um, but we'll get to that. Um, <clears throat> so it's a pretty dark world at the moment. And in foresight terms, I'm a dystopian futurist. So I'm trying to leave you with a bit of hope this afternoon. Uh, I'm being frank. <laughs> um, if I'm allowed to swear, then I probably will. Um, I am a professional futurist. I have a degree in foresight. I'm doing my PhD in strategic foresight as well. And I, before or I discovered foresight and had an epiphany, um, I was the unholiest of the unholy because I was a brand strategist and I helped people buy things and consume things that they didn't really need. Um, so the reason I talk about all of this, and particularly one of my favourite writers, Ursula Le Guin, um, is that we live in this world at the moment where we're told that uncertainty is bad um, and that complexity uh, is the, the challenge that we have, and it is, um, but uncertainty is bad. And that's the mantra that's been through business for the last 10 years in Australia. It's also the thing that gets talked about globally. Um, so just to cover off a few things, um, I'm a professional futurist, so there's stuff I don't talk about, um, and there's a... <laughs> You know, because <laughs> this is what often happens with, with these kind of discussions. It's going to be all about prediction and the next technology. Well, it's not. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that, which I will cover. Um, and one of them is that we as designers have responsibility and agency, even if we don't know it. So I'm going to do a modification of a foresight game called the Polak game. Um, please, come in, come in. Um, and I have to do it in a way that's sort of modified because this normally is a, a three-dimensional embodied experience, uh, but I'm going to do it slightly differently. And I'm doing it in a way that means I can remain standing based on how I feel around the world. So everyone who feels like there is hope or you feel positive and optimistic about the world, please stay seated. If you don't feel so good about the world, just quickly stand up. Or, or stand up quickly. Excellent. Have a look around. So it's a big contrast. You can sit down again. Who feels like they have agency around making things different in the world? If you feel like you've got an, a lot of agency, put both hands up. If you feel like you've got a bit of agency, you can do kind of like me. So I'm over here. Yeah, interesting again. So there's a lot of people in the room who feel like we can create change and don't necessarily have the agency. And this is why we can't have world peace. We don't agree on stuff. It's true. It's all of that negotiation and we end up back where we were in the 1940s. Have a look at NATO at the moment. But the thing is that 
design has the opportunity to do stuff. So I'm standing here today using technology that I'm always fearful of because the first time I ever presented way back in the 90s when I was about 23, um, the technology collapsed and I was presenting at a, a, tel a telecommunications conference in New Zealand. Um, the la lectern collapsed, everything around me collapsed and, and my slide deck, because it was slides then, um, was upside down. So I don't necessarily always trust things and there's a healthy scepticism around that. And that's what we should be using when we approach the world at large. Um, the thing is that we have things around us that we can use to make change. But we're stronger at using the terminology and not necessarily doing the stuff that will actually make us change. So I don't ask you to put your hands up, but who used public transport to get here? I flew here and then I caught the train because I came up from Melbourne. But how do, did you think about how you got here? Did you think about the impact of what you did in coming here? Was it a conscious decision? And do you take responsibility for the agency you have? And that's not an indictment about attending conferences. I spend a shitload of time traveling. But I do it because I'm aware of my impact in doing so. And there's a big argument in academia at the moment about traveling or not. Um, but I do it because I need to have a sense, I've got to have something to hold on to. It also helps me develop my expertise because the strategic foresight and community in Australia is about this big. Um, the other thing is having a shared language. Now, we often talk about having a shared language around design, design thinking, you know, another day, another model in design thinking. There isn't necessarily a consistency around that language. And until we get a shared language for expressing our futures and our possible futures, um, we're always going to have a bit of a struggle. And particularly when we think about futures, and I'm going to get to the futures bit in a second, we tend not to think very long term. And we can talk about government and politics and institutions having a great deal of short term thinking and some short termism, which isn't so good for us. But we are guilty of the same. It's bad enough, anyone who works on financial services and banking products is getting a regular brief saying we need to get people to save more, they need to have better, greater financial acumen, we need to plan ahead with insurance, yeah, 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 it's, it's the but we don't do it. And that's the thing, we just don't do it. And we can argue that it's human nature, we can argue it through social theory, but we need to change, we really do. So they're not just challenges for design, although design can have a significant impact. It already has had a significant impact. In fact, design is one of the reasons that we are in the state we're in. Design is one of the things that has got us to the world that we live in today. And I think you can tell that I'm not entirely happy about that. The problem is that we all have the same challenge of designing for something that can only be imagined. This is when I get to the futures bit. Um, we tend to work um, with images of futures uh, that, that really don't exist. Um, there are typically two types of futures that we work with. The used futures, which is uh, Sahel Ayantullah's work. He talks about images of futures that are dragged down by the past. So the weight of the past is the thing that influences. Um, there's also the, the, the used futures, which are the futures that we're told. Who remembers when digital was going to cause the death of print? I do. But it hasn't died. And there are new magazines being introduced on a regular basis globally. The power of print is in itself. 
So we're told that things are going to happen and this is the way it's going to be. But that's actually not what happens. And these are used images that get used and used and used again. There's also the futures that we discard. And in some ways, we're kind of guilty of that as a people globally because there's images of futures which we're not so keen on. Um, and if you want a hint as to something to watch, then I would recommend a video by a design studio in London called Superflux. Has anyone heard of them? Go, go search them. They're great. They do amazing work. And there's a particular piece that they've done called Mitigation of Shock. Uh, and you'll need to mitigate the shock once you've watched it. So I, I strongly recommend it. If you follow me on Twitter, then I can make sure that I follow up with a couple of links afterwards. I've got Because I'm an academic, I'll probably recommend some books. Uh, and, and, and the other thing is that I know we really don't do questions, but I'm used to students in lectures asking questions. So if I throw something at you and you're really going, what the? Just stick your hand up, yell out at me, it's fine. The other concept that gets talked about is flat pack futures, which is Scott Smith from Changest talking about the power of today. And here's a future that we can just go and take off the shelf like an IKEA flat pack piece of furniture, install it, get it together, and then our life is all neat and orderly. And they tend to be around the things that we've got now, but more. So faster, better, cheaper, more flexible, more minimalist. But that, they're just two kinds of futures. We also have the futures which are SEPs and BAU. So someone else's problem, someone else will deal with that. And BAU, business as usual. Has anyone read a book called The Limits to Growth? I strongly recommend you do. The other book that you could read is uh, Not the Future You Ordered. Because we are in a post-growth and post-human world. So there's been a shift from user-centered to design thinking and human-centered design. We now need to think beyond that. Design that is focused on both human and non-human life forms. Design that is focused around sentient cities. Those are emerging practice areas that we need to acknowledge as we move into this post-growth and post-human world. And I'm not even getting into transhumanism and the singularity today. Coffee, we don't have it for too much longer if we don't do something about it, um, particularly given what's happening in the Amazon at the moment. Chocolate, this could change my life. When I was working on brands, I wished I'd had more day spas and chocolate brand projects to work on. Um, I got most of the financial services and healthcare stuff, which was very cool, but this, yeah. Sand. You know all those images of futures where we build these amazing towers and constructions? Well, they're going to get a bit difficult because we're running out of the sand that we need to build on. Um, we're also water challenge. And the other big one, anyone really into lithium, lithium battery as an alternative power source? Five, six years ago, we had around three or 400 years worth of lithium left. Um, not only has the price skyrocketed in lithium, but the, at the same time, the resources have been depleted. So at the current rate of consumption, we might run out of lithium in 40 or 50 years. Um, sand we need for a lot of stuff. It's actually the foundation of civilization, which is why I get so skeptical of technology. Because all of those devices that we tout as being the solution to various problems, we know they don't always work. We know they're not always effective as a piece of design for people, but also we're not going to be able to produce them. There's an awful lot of silicon that goes into producing these devices. And the more we encourage stuff, the more we do stuff that is not necessarily propagating a positive future. So I promise I'll get on to the good stuff. Um, last bad slide. If anyone's got white uh, wine from France, so a really nice Chardonnay, 
Chablis, drink it soon because your equivalent could be coming out of Russia by 2050. It probably doesn't have the same cachet for some people. But the red spots are where we won't be able to grow grapes to produce wine. And 2050 is not that far away. Um, so the big deal here is global overshoot. Have you heard of Earth Overshoot Day? It's the day that we reach in the year when we've used the, the available resources over what is considered a year's worth of consumption. Now, we used to reach that in October when it was first established as a day. Um, it happens just over halfway through the year now because we haven't stopped depleting the resources. And I don't want to hammer the bad stuff. We just need to be aware of this because these will be the conditions that we're designing for. And that's the challenge that we continue to design based on what we see as current state. We don't design for those potential futures that are down the track. So unfortunately, the things that we're going to get are not necessarily the things that we anticipated. They're not necessarily the things that we're being told we're going to, we, we, we should have got. Um, and we're certainly not going to be able to empathise our way out of it. So I'm on the same side of Cameron Tonkin-Wise when it comes to empathy. It's there, but <laughs> it's not going to fix everything. If it did, we probably wouldn't have global terrorism. Because you can't empathise with a terrorist. So this is when we go back to we all face the challenge of something that can only be imagined and anticipated. Um, and this is why we need alternative futures. This is a thing called the Futures Cone. My PhD supervisor developed this based on a number of other writers before him. The idea is that we're at a point in time. And as you go further out in time, more futures emerge. And there are different kinds of futures. The main thing is that the further out in time we go, the more futures there are. And they are multiple possible alternatives. So you all know pretty much what you're doing tonight. You probably know what you're doing tomorrow. You probably have a fair idea of what you've got planned over the next week or so. If you've got a holiday planned in a few months' time, you might have a schedule for that. We have project plans that we work to. We have a sense of where we're going out in time. But the further out in time, the more possibilities there are. I started a new role at Swinburne this semester, but I didn't have that even on my radar at the beginning of the year. I hadn't anticipated that, uh, but it was only six months before there was a significant change. And we don't think about things happening. We think about the immediate, and we need to think more in the context of things that could happen, and remembering that could doesn't mean should. In foresight terms, most of the words that we'll use around futures are possible, plausible and preferred. So possible meaning that it could happen, and it's probably most likely to. Plausible being, oh, you know, that, that it, it, it's seemingly possible that that can happen. And preferred being the futures that we want. So if we want a particular type of future, then we have to design for that. If we want a particular future to not happen, we have to design that stuff out. And a lot of the things we do in design are about decision making, putting stuff in or leaving things out. So if we stop designing in stuff that has a negative impact, then we are able to change that course of history. So the analogies are around movies like Sliding Doors or Back to the Future, where things change. 
based on the decisions that we make today. So we make a decision to get on a plane, we plan for it. We make a decision to go on a holiday, we plan for it. We don't necessarily think about that in terms of the stuff that we design. So if we're concerned about the impact of something, we need to think about designing for it not to eventuate. Examples of this, what we see in movies all the time. We have gesture-based technology because of science fiction. So Minority Report was the first movie in which gesture-based technology was really used. It was a project of research um, at a university at the time, um, but it was the first real instance of it being developed. Now we get it all the time. Who had a Motorola clamshell phone way back when? Me too. I had a Nokia um, that did, had the little flip one that was a Nokia Ericsson, or Sony Ericsson, can't remember, but it was the same flip. Who's a Star Trek fan? Where did we first see the clamshell? We get our images from the stuff that's around it. So if we need to look at alternative futures, we need images around us. It means that we need to have a particular dis disposition around design and what it can do. Moving beyond that short term of the next sales cycle or the next iteration of something and thinking what are the longer term consequences of this. If we design that, what will happen? What could happen and what do we want to happen? If we want to really address homelessness, we're going to have to do the shorter term stuff and we're going to have to look at the systemic level issues that propagate homelessness. We're also going to have to look at the very personal um, choices around homelessness. If we want to address health issues, we have to look at the causes of them. We can design another app to help people with mental health, but we're not addressing some of the social issues that lead to that. And there's a conundrum between, and I'm sure you see it, that we're designing an app to address mental health issues that have emerged from social media and the pressure that it causes. So this is also, and I don't know if there are any clients sitting in the room, but I hope there are, because we as designers have agency, but we have to persuade our clients of that as well. A lot of us get briefs that say, need to do this to get sales figures up for the next quarter. We've got this new thing coming into the market, we need to make it work. So the short-termism resides with the client and their decisions as well. Sometimes we have to wait it out with a client and encourage them to make changes. Slowly, but better than not at all. We also have to think about the quality of the inputs that we work with when we're designing. Design scenarios are generally a continuation of business as usual. They are generally the stuff we're doing now just taken out by six years. I'm not even going to talk about trends today, except that they're trends and they're current. So remember that. Trends are happening now. So if your clients are coming to you saying this is the trend, remind them they need to be ahead of trend. Don't just follow the trend, because all you're doing is me too stuff. So that's the brand stuff, but it's also propagating same, same. Trends can be identified through weak signals. There are tools that we use in foresight work um, around emerging issues analysis, um, causal layered analysis that start to pull this stuff together. But that design scenario you're doing um, for a user, uh, and I like the doing people, my compliments to the presentation earlier today where it was this challenge to us to refer to people as people, not as users. Uh, 
when we're designing for people, we need to think about the future context or that future, that particular future context. And consider what inputs you have access to. But just because it's what the client has told you, and I know we all do this, but go and have a look at what's happening elsewhere in the world around that. Now, we can take our clues from other parts of the world. Has anyone read a book called um, Black Swan by Nicholas Taleb? Okay. So we didn't have black. There was no such thing as a black swan. All swans were white. And then suddenly people get to WA. Oh, bugger, there's a black swan. Not all swans are white. It changes. So we need to anticipate the unexpected and we need to be able to work with it when it happens. We also need to imagine those alternative futures and we need to be able to visualise them. This guy said this a long time ago. Not everyone's into him, and I can't say I'm a, a huge fan, but he's right about us being challenged by images of things that are different. We don't always like change. We're not comfortable with it, which is why have, organizations have change management strategies. We like the stuff that is comfortable and, and easy, the things that don't push us and don't challenge us, because this stuff can be hard and confronting. And so this also goes to some of the comments made in other sessions today about the charge to us to be responsible for the things that we're creating and think more broadly about where they fit in the world and the worlds that they shape. So we can do stuff with sticky notes. This is the beginning of a scenario process. Um, it was using a tool called Harman Fan, which allows you to imagine possible futures um, done in a bit of a provocative way uh, and over a, a 20 to 25 year uh, time span. Um, I use Lego Serious Play as well for people to visualise because it's easy um, and it's a way of giving form to things. So it's a useful tool, but it's also setting the context and it allows us to visualise alternatives. Right? Someone says, my car has a, a rocket attached to it. Well, you know, how are we going to make that happen? Um, this was also a piece of work that I saw um, in Canada a few years ago. So it was giving people a chance to imagine themselves in a future. So we can visualise this in really simple ways. Um, and experiential scenarios, the work of Stuart Candy and Jake Dunnigan has done that phenomenally well. Um, this is a project in Melbourne called the Nightingale Project which has been conceived based on very different design and architectural standards and values. So it's set up as a very different community. It's one of the more successful ones. There are others that have not been as successful, and this isn't perfect, but it's a step on. One of the challenges, of course, around this is needing to do stuff in a short period of time. I tend to be an advocate for taking time, reflecting and doing things slowly, which is kind of antithetical to the do it fast and break it and try again. Sometimes we need the reflection in between. We need to be able to grok stuff. Doing things fast doesn't always work. It gets us to something. And there's always time to iterate, maybe. But sometimes we need the reflection in between. And this is a, a photograph I took in Mongolia a few years, which is about a new development. But it's complementary to the old style of living. I don't know if you can see the yurts up the back. Um, so people live in Ulaanbaatar in yurts because that is part of their social fabric, it's part of their, it's part of their culture, um, and if you have a yurt, then you can maintain your nomadic lifestyle. Once you buy a house, you can't be nomadic anymore. So there's a very significant decision made by policy that influences how the community, how the society evolves. 
So what do we do to avoid business as usual? Because that's the big problem. I should also say, um, the future doesn't exist. <laughs> so there is no one predetermined future. There is no one place that we're going to land in time. There is no one way that it's going to play out. That slide of the futures cone suggests that. Um, so we need to think about what might emerge. The other challenge with the future is that we have to create it. So we have to imagine it, and the ridiculous ideas around futures are the ones that are most useful to us. And so I'm paraphrasing Jim Dato, um, who taught future studies at the University of Hawaii in the Manawa program. Some of the challenges I have for design are using a bit of foresight before we begin design. Starting to think through the consequences of what we're doing in two or five years' time. If we design this now, what does that do to change things two to five years out? And you can extrapolate quite readily. Also using longer time horizons. So I say different, longer, because most work in design is quite short term. We need to get this to market in six weeks, six months. I worked on a wine that had to go to market in six weeks and they didn't even have it in the bottles. It was a tight deadline, <laughs> but it worked. It doesn't necessarily mean it's good, except in this sense they had excess fruit, so they wanted to get it out and, and do something with it. There was a commercial imperative as well as do we just leave the fruit to rot. So thinking about longer time horizons in the work that we do. Asking better questions. We're good at asking questions in design. We're good at asking people what they think and feel about things. And there's been a bit of a discussion with Cameron Tonkinwise on Twitter this after, uh, yesterday and, and today about um, when we ask people what they do and what they say is different, um, are we then interrogating them further? Yeah, maybe we are. And maybe sometimes we have to, but maybe we should just ask a better question. Maybe we can anticipate people's needs without drilling too hard into stuff that's actually a bit, it feels like we're really pulling their lives apart sometimes. Um, the, all, the other thing is the, the multiple perspectives. If I ask you to close your eyes for 30 seconds now, and I won't, but if I asked you to do that and imagine a future, how many of you are gonna have the same image of a future? Some of you will have studied semiotics. So if I say cat, who saw a black cat? Yeah. Who saw a tortoiseshell? Who saw a non-domestic cat? Who saw Felix the cat? Still a cat. So our images of futures are down to our multiple perspectives. And what I want in a future is not necessarily what you want. So we need to, going back to that first little hands up, stand up thing, we need to acknowledge that there are different perspectives and different preferences. And we've got to work through that. And we also need to foster the divergent thinking because otherwise we're going to continue with the business as usual. This is the way it's going to be. This is the way it has to be. And it doesn't have to be. We've had change significantly. Anyone remember Y2K? Didn't happen, did it? Why didn't it happen? We did something about it. <laughs> so we've been getting the bad news about climate change since the 70s. 
We've been getting bad news about politics and fragmentation of societies for longer than that. We did something about Y2K. We need to do something about the other stuff. Have a view and hold it lightly. It's the biggest part of foresight work. Yep, that's a possibility. What else is out there? Being able to move from the big macro global perspective down to the really small local perspective, that's part of what we do. There is always going to be multiple futures and things change all the time. The weather changes all the time. Those things affect what we do and the decisions that we make from what clothes we buy I've got a serious consideration at the moment. I'm looking at my overcoat, my beautiful black long coat that I bought 10, ten, yeah, ten years ago. Still wearing it, by quality people. Um, it's just getting to the end of its tether. I think what I might have, I have to do something with the cuffs because I just see it starting to get a bit thin. Because I don't think I'll really need to buy another overcoat. I don't think that I'm really going to get the use out of it, even if I live in the UK. Because at the moment, the UK is threatened with all oh, that's hottest summer ever. <laughs> um, Europe is melting. <laughs> um, there's more rain um, in the southern parts of England than they've ever had, and it's actually at risk of flooding. Who would have thought? Uh, at the same time, they're at risk of drought. So there's been studies that suggest the southern part of the UK um, could be in drought in 10 years' time. I know. England. <laughs> uh, complexity is, you know, to use the phrase, the new normal. So it always was. We just weren't aware of it. And thankfully, the advent of technology, and particularly design and design practice and design theory, has actually allowed us to explore this more. We've become more aware of it. We've had a greater understanding of it. So we should be really thankful for the work that we've done in design, because we do have a greater understanding than we did maybe 10 years ago, but there was a bit in design where we just got it wrong. And no one person is going to be able to do this alone. In the same way that we have creative teams, we're going to have to work together on this. And we need to acknowledge the different perspectives. Our state of politics here, the US, the UK, parts of Europe, is indicative of a very clear divide. Cast your mind back to 2009. Switzerland had just gone into the biggest global recession. Blockchain appeared. It was the first real reference to blockchain 10 years ago. So another thing that we were told was going to change everything. It's changed some things. It hasn't changed everything, and I don't know whether it will. Because the consumption that blockchain requires to actually do its job um, is an incredible load on the planet and the resources that we have. So it will have benefits, but will also have challenges. And the things that we think are important now, so what we thought was important in 2009, may well have disappeared a couple of years later. So think about your own life and what changes. Yeah. It is hard to anticipate this, but we just need to open ourselves up to the thinking. Another book you might want to read is Theory You by Otto Sharma. 
though open mind, open heart and open will. Being willing to shift as things emerge around, around the, the, your day-to-day -day practice. Um, if anyone is interested, there's a ULAB thing which runs free around the world. It's, it's fabulous. Just be mindful that predictions are not really good things. <laughs> I tend to think of them as depictions, but we take them as a prediction of what is going to be. And that's not the case at all. And as a futurist, it's not my job to predict. It's not my it's actually my responsibility to not predict because the future doesn't exist and I can't tell you what's going to happen specifically tomorrow, let alone 20 years out. One of my colleagues works in really big timescales, hundreds of years, thousands of years, both back into the past and forward into futures. So we can't predict stuff. What we can do is equip ourselves for it, but also shape it. So think about how the future, a future might emerge and then make choices around what might be coming up and what we want to get out of it. Um, if you go back to 2009, and done an exercise now, but just for a bit of fun later, have a look what we were told was going to happen 10 years ago. There's a lot of stuff that didn't happen. There's an awful lot that did, but it evolved in different ways. And that's the challenge with predictions. When you read at the beginning of 2020, here are the top 10 new texts for 2020, it's a trend. It's also serving someone. So think about who those messages serve. They possibly serve the person who's emitting that message. So in the same way that I'm standing here talking about foresight, because it serves me. I think it serves design as well, but it's being aware of what we do and what we say and acknowledging who that serves in the process. There were lots of things that happened between 2009 and now that weren't predicted and did. So Obama got elected. That wasn't expected. Trump got elected. That also wasn't expected. I used Trump nominating as a wild card um, before he nominated, and I had it discarded from scenario workshops. Uh, then I used it when he'd nominated as a wild card, him being elected. Again, that'll never happen. We weren't expected to get a return of the government that we have. So regardless of whether you like it or not, it happened. So be mindful of the, this will never happen. I think every futurist has to use a Gibson quote. <laughs> I've tried to avoid the one that he's not sure he even said. Um, he's alleged to have said it. He doesn't really remember it. Um, there are those who quote him on it. But the future is there. But by the time we get there, it's going to be a reflection of us and what we've shaped. So if we want something different, and it can be good, and it can be strong, and it can be beautiful, but we have to do something about that. So this is not about feeling pulled back by the threat of the future. It's thinking about how we might do it more robustly. Um, just a couple of things, because I actually didn't take as much time as I thought for a change. Uh, if you're looking at foresight or building in longer-term thinking into your work, one easy thing to do is just add a longer time frame to a project. So when you're working through, this is the launch date, this is what we're going to, this is what the client wants to achieve, ask them to imagine what they think the world of that particular project might be three years out. Because if we think about the conditions that we're designing for, so this is the Saarinen quote, the chair in the house, in the village, in the community, 
It's not just a chair that we're designing. It's not just a website we're designing. It's not just an app. It's not just a piece of service. It's not just a government policy. These things have bigger responsibilities and, and, and bigger plays and threads into the things that we do. So considering, well, if we want, well, what do we want the world to be like in five years' time? If we do want to have achieved certain things, maybe we want to achieve direct democracy. If that's the case, get on board with the organisations that are promoting and supporting and advocating for direct democracy in Australia. If we want a technocentric future, then go with it. Just remember that there is no one silver bullet for this stuff. And most of the things that we need to work on are going to be joined up solutions. And we need joined up thinking for that, which is you know, the DevOps presentation was great because we're talking about getting people working together. And we need to do more of that. And we do that through design. You know, we can be some of the most collaborative and creative people in the world. Unfortunately, we can be reined in. So get your clients to think about this. That, that's, that's the bit that we need to be persuading. That's the, the piece that's missing in the discussion. That so you get the brief that says, we, we're going to redesign these things. Why? So you can sell more. Um, there is also a big gap to be explored around what the policy or the values or the latest strategy from the senior level is versus that brand manager that you're working with. As there are organisations, there's the, the decision that's just been agreed in Europe by a number of CEOs. Um, they've said, this is what we're going to value from now on. We've signed up to the SDGs. We've signed up to this. We've signed up to that. But there's still someone out there making decisions that are based on short term because that kind of thinking hasn't made its way through. Read more broadly. All of the stuff that we're told to do to be creative, you can do that, but from a futures perspective. Have a look at different images of futures, particularly Afro-futures uh, and the, the work that's being done around Asian futures because that is where we sit. And we model ourselves more on parts of the world that are not necessarily congruent um, or aligned with the, the things that we, we do and need in Australia. So we can look for different images to influence us and also to extract understanding of how other things might be possible. When we think about the dystopian images, because Elysium's pretty bleak, Blade Runner 2049, does anyone really think that was a positive future? It's probably fairly pragmatic. If you think about the time, though, it's only 30 years from now. So that's not that far away, and it seems like it's a plausible future. It might not be preferred, but it's plausible. So if we don't want to be showering in sand, if we don't want representations of women and gender to be the way they are in that movie, and I'm not critiquing, I actually think that's a fair representation of of gender, um, and particularly women, um, in 30 years from now, given that it took us a couple of hundred years to get the vote. Oh, sorry, it's only a couple of years since we've, yeah, a couple of hundred years since we've had the vote. We're not going to get significant change in 30 years. So think about these images and what they propagate, and look for the positive ones as well. Um, Black Panther is a great image of the future. It's not impossible. It, again, is a plausible one. But challenge yourselves and your clients to think more about what those possibilities might be. And I think I'm just about done for time. Do, do, am I allowed to ask if anyone has a question? Yeah? You do. Great. <laughs>
So if the question, if your question is around your agency and where you can do better work, sometimes you have to make choices. Um, and this is also a discussion around ethics in design. Don't think that you doing good work on a little project here a couple of times a year compensates for the work you do elsewhere that's actually just raping and pillaging the planet. So it's, it's coming up with what you can live with and sometimes there is comp you, you have to just make the, the, you know, the best worst choice or the worst best choice. Ah, uh, yeah. So that that's that's an R on its own, um, but because the question is ethics by whose measure, who is the we, who are the people engaged in that process, and what are the longer term consequences? So all of that needs to come into play, and you can't make those decisions quickly, and you can't just make a choice to go and do something else and, and have a life-changing moment. But you certainly can be more conscious about the things that you do and maybe plan for that change. If you think that those are things you want to be doing five or ten years, what do you do for that? How do you get a shift in career? How do you move to something else? Does that kind of help? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much.